0: Hey, everybody. My guest today, Dr. Susan Brown, is somebody that I've been wanting to have on the podcast for about a year and a half, and she finally had time in her schedule. She is one of the top bone ex- experts in the country, perhaps in the world. She is always on top of everything that's new, but she goes back to the basics. What can we do to take care of the body to take care of the bones? Because the bones give and give and give way more than just supporting us and keeping us upright, which I half the stuff I didn't even know. We talked about practical steps To help improve your bone strength so that you can age without fear of fractures. Oh, and by the way, fear is one of the things that really damage bones. And the Western Medical Model is full of ways to terrorize women, she says, those are her words, about osteoporosis and osteopenia. We're going to get rid of all that fear. Listen in, share it if you feel like this is important for your girlfriends to hear. I really think it is. I'll be sharing it with mine. This is the rebellious wellness over 50 podcast for women over 50 who have a lot of living yet to do, who want to enjoy the ride for as long as they can in good health and with a sense of humor, maybe a little wine. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. Nonsense. I would say something else, but I'll keep it clean for now. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life you just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. People, welcome back to another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50. My guest today is Dr. Susan Brown. She is a bone health expert as well as a full body, mind and spirit expert because as we were just talking, we really can't separate out the bones from the rest of the body. And of course, the mind has such a big part in how our body handles day-to-day life. So Dr. Brown, Welcome and thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you. It's fun. It's a pleasure. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun today. We have so much to cover too. So <laughs> One of the things that I want to jump right into for people that may not know is this osteopenia diagnosis, which my understanding is it was a marketing term and the gradations of from healthy to osteopenia, all of these measurements are done on young women, right? Perfectly healthy young women. Tell us right. a little bit about osteopenia, then osteoporosis. What does it really mean?
1: Well, you know, the interesting story behind that is that in 1985, I went to a meeting in Harvard, and this meeting was of these bone specialists, and they said, look, now we've developed a machine, and we are going to be able to tell who's going to fracture. That was the very first bone density machines, these x-ray machines we still have today called DEXA bone density, and so they said, this is great. I'm going to be able to tell who fractures. This is 1985. So they went out and for 10 years, they collected data. They tested many, many people. Largely, those machines were financed by drug companies to get out the word that you could measure, you could get an index of bone strength. They really proposed it would predict who would fracture. And so they collected many, many cases. And then 10 years later, 10 men got together under the, they somehow got themselves titled as a part of the World Health Organization. And they looked at all this data. And they said, "Okay, the people that have the lowest readings, we're going to call that osteoporosis. That's minus two point. You know, it was worked on standard deviations. They had this whole curve where there was normal. Some people had higher than normal. Some people had lower than normal. So they picked a bunch of people that were lower than normal, minus 2.5 standard deviations from young people. And they said, well, we're going to call this osteoporosis. So that they totally redefined osteoporosis. Osteoporosis was always defined by bones so weak that they fractured needlessly. The strength test was that you had needless fracture or your teeth fell out or they happened to do a surgery and find out that the bones, when they tried to stick a piece of a nail in there or a screw that it didn't hold tight because the bone was weak. So, but then this was a new definition. They said, I'm going to define osteoporosis, not by actual strength we can measure and not by the failure to do daily activities, but by this bone density by DEXA. Then they set up those standards and they said, okay, we're going to call this osteoporosis if it's more than 2.5, 2.5 or more standard deviations from the average young woman, the average 30-year-old. And then they said, there's a bunch of people that their bone density is better than that, but it's not the same as the average, the mean of young person. And they called that osteopenia, any place from minus 1.5 standard deviations to minus two. So a large percent of the population was Today, half of the population is classified as either osteoporosis or osteopenia by bone density. Osteopenia was never meant as a diagnosis. And the, the people who did it, the researchers have written about that. I'm just doing a new book called The Better Bone Solution. And we're, we're recounting that history because it's, we forget that this is a new thing. It's only the last 30, 40 years that we decided we're going to define osteoporosis this way. And when you think of the millions of women who've been terrorized by these bone density tests, it's kind of interesting. So they said, "Okay, we know who's got osteoporosis. We know who's going to fracture. We know the people that are osteopenia. That means they have less bone." They did not say that that was a stepping stone to osteoporosis. They just said it was a statistical group. It was somewhat different than normal, but not as extremely different as those they called osteoporosis. And so then ten years more go by, and they, some people get together and they start publishing the data. They said, "Let's look at who's fractured." This is like 10 more years later, and they find out that most of the fractures occur in people that have osteopenia or normal bone density. And even 10, maybe 20, even 30% of fracture can occur in people with normal bone density. And so you cannot predict fracture by bone density. And it's true that if you have a very low bone density, you're more likely to fracture, but most of the fractures occur in people with osteopenia or even normal. And what it points to is that bone that DEXA bone density measurements do not really distinguish us they cannot predict fracture, which is to me the definition of osteoporosis, that bone that's architecturally weakened and will fracture. So the outcome is but even more curious that they the public has taken on osteopenia as a diagnosis. I've seen thousands of women come to me and say I have osteopenia. So what do you mean you have osteopenia? There's no such a thing as osteopenia. <laughs> it's just a definite osteopenia really means a lack of bone, just like leukopenia means a lack of white blood cells. So it's a lack of bone mass that they can see. But of course, if you are small boned, and much less if you're short, you're going to have low bone mass, particularly because these machines measure, the DEXA machine is very dependent on size of the bone. It's an aerial measurement. It measures area, so small bone people come out with lower measurements. And you see, really, so many, what I call osteoporosis, a disorder of thin and worried women. And I see thousands of them and it's kind of interesting how that goes together. And I can explain that to you sometime if you want, but yeah, so they invented the whole new definition of osteoporosis, the whole new definition of osteopenia and the doctors themselves started using it or the nurses or whoever reads your bone density says, Oh, you have osteopenia, which has led to the undermining of the self-confidence of so many women all around the world. So my point is, okay. We know that probably one-third of the population, at least women, will have a needless fracture in their life. Most of the fractures you hear really really you hear really fine. We see cases, of course, where people have severe spinal fractures. When they become deformed, they get kyphotic. You see cases of hip fracture. But the average hip fracture occurs at the age of 82 in latest. And the average woman dies at 80. So, you know, I mean, they're terrorizing people with this idea of hip fracture when really... The hip fracture rates are declining and half of the hip fractures occur in people with disabilities in nursing homes. So what I really want to combat is this fear, using osteoporosis as a fear. Fear, as I can tell you later, fear damages bone. So we're making a a frightful story about a bone health, which if you think of it, every animal in the forest has perfect bone health. You know, I mean, so what's so difficult for us to maintain our bones? We certainly have done many, many things that weaken our bones just in our modern lifestyle. Uh, I was just reading that the Amish, the Amish have a forty percent less hip fracture rate amongst the elderly. What is it? It's because they're very active because they re- eat regular whole food and they're very active. They work so, a lot physical physical work. These are older women, so much less. There's a hundredfold hip fracture rate variation around the world. My first work, I'm an anthropologist, really by my first profession. My grandmother fractured at 101, and she was she was in a bathtub. Well, living alone, we didn't know so much about this. And she slipped and broke her hip. And she was totally sound of mind. She just went to bed. Somebody said, you want to go to the doctor? She said, no, I've been there before. She said, let's go to bed. My, she said, I took care of my sons for 100 years. They can take care of me. And so she was just very peaceful. She watched Ronald Reagan on the TV there in his, his shows. And it really inspired me to say, "Does this do, are hip fractures common all over the world? And what we found there was we have... Have fractures at a hundredfold higher than other countries and mm-hmm. so particularly people living traditional lifestyles and so uh, then to compound all that we've made it seem like this weakness on the part of women and that uh, I, I don't like it really think it's a shame they've used osteoporosis to terrorize women and 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 some you know sell we medication well that's how it was all funded right to sell yeah. that
0: Yeah, Tell me about the trabecular bone score test. Is that an important test? Does it tell us something valuable?
1: Well, here's my take on that. The bone density, everyone knows the bone density machine has many problems. It can't predict fracture. You have to have a 6% change just to be sure it's not placement on the machine. It's very dependent on Susan Ott, famous researcher, put 100 people on her machine. The same day, same calibration, walked them around the room and said, you need a 6% change to be sure it's not placement. And imagine you go to some doctor's office, who knows if the technician even knows that machine, you know, it, it is like, it's a very crude kind of thing. I've seen clients go get two days in a row, get very different measurements. I mean, it has many errors. Plus Europeans have just published that 90% of those DEXs have errors in them. And mm-hmm. so it's like, so, so they're trying to find some way to resuscitate that. They're trying to find some way to make it useful. And this is where the trabecular score comes in. The DEXA is trying to measure that outer shell of the bone, the cortical bone. And it's really not measuring it. It's measuring the area. So it's a very inferior way of doing things. But people have invested a lot of money in these machines. And so they're reluctant to give them up. So then they just said, well, if we take that image, it's an x-ray image, and we amplify it. Maybe we can see these little trabecular plates. Now, outside of bone, you have this hard cortical bone. And inside, we can see the bone marrow, which there's also these little bone, these trabecular plates of bone, which are very metabolically active. They have a lot of surface area and they give a certain strength, a certain architecture to bone, a big strength. And so if those plates are very thin or if they're broken you can tell that so they're trying to see if they can tell that from the dexa machine so i mean the jury's out whether just how really effective that'll be it's certainly worth a try if your doctor offers it to you you know what they're doing in europe there's some very advanced dentists they do the molars they expand that x-ray and they can see the trabecular plates and they can assess the spinal fracture the spine that way so bone can reveal if you have very good x-rays. So let's see how it goes. The newest thing in bone density, of course, is this ultrasound. Have
0: you heard of yes, that? I have in North Carolina, a doctor said there's a place in North Carolina doing that. Yeah,
1: we're very we're very close with with what's his name? I don't know the name. I can't remember. Yes, yes. We talk a lot with him. Um because he stepped up and said, Well, let's see if we can if we can do it. The ultrasound from Italy, it's called Echolite. And it, it's an attempt to measure bone strength. They put, a, they put a sound wave into bone. We've had ultrasound for bone a long time. Many people probably had their heel done with ultrasound. You go to a little health food show and you put your heel in this device and they measure the heel bone density. Um, now they figured how to do the whole body. You send a sound image, the sound wave bounces back and you compare that wave to people who have strong bones, people who have poor bones by fracturing them. It's pretty interesting. We love the fragility index. And that can change fairly quickly. So you'll see the echo light coming along as one possibility of another, another way to measure bone strength. Here's another way to measure bone strength. If a client comes to me and and we see that their, their bone density looks one way, it says they've lost some bone, but their bone turnover. Well, bone turnover is a whole nother question, but what happens is that bone strength is very related to muscle, to muscle strength and muscle mass. And so if you're wavering what to think about pay attention to the muscles i predicted in the future very soon they're going to start measuring muscle mass right along with bone mass and have people appreciate the fact that it's an effect of when you lose muscle you lose bone and when you are losing bone you're losing muscle and so to see that as one single unit and emphasize the importance of maintaining muscle as we age which is a trick because nature likes to slow down things it likes to kind of have the Older group fade away. So you really have to work on that to maintain muscle mass. And certainly with exercise, they've made 90-year-olds as strong as 50-year-olds. I mean, there's a whole lot you can do. And you mentioned you saw the interview with Belinda Beck, a doctor in Australia, runs the Australian Bone Clinic. She has reversed osteoporosis, even amongst people who have already fractured with exercise, high, high intensity, high impact exercise, weightlifting, like Olympic weightlifting. It's all very interesting. Pay attention to your muscle, maybe and take bone density with a grain of salt, particularly if you're small boned, thin or underweight.
0: What's the relationship between muscle and bone? You see, yeah, you got the
1: tendons that attach to the bone and the muscles tendons, attach to right. the tendon. And then when you pull, it's actually the bending of bone that sends the signal to be, build bone. It's a piezoelectric current. The collagen is piezoelectric, sends a little electric signal saying, oh, there's stress being put here. We need to strengthen that bone. Bone loss is all really about the body's attempt to renew itself, to repair. Little broken down pieces of bones, two million spots in your body where the body is digging out old weakened bone cells and putting new bone and making new collagen and new bone. If we don't have all the cofactors, if we don't have all the environment that to do that, we don't have adequate protein, bone is half protein by volume, if we don't have all the nutrients, the manganese, zinc, copper, everything necessary to create that collagen protein matrix, then you get into deficit. You, you don't repair the bone successfully. You could spend your whole life studying one single bone cell. And what I got to tell everyone, the human body is absolutely amazing. And if we could do anything, we could appreciate the wonder of this body and start thinking, oh, what can I do for my body? It's amazing. It's the smartest device on the universe. Do you know that in one day a person produces their own weight and ATP? Your little mitochondria producing 60 kilos, 70 kilos, 800 kilos of, of ATP. And what does ATP weigh? Nothing. But you have that big of a manufacturing plant. And we never question, it? what does this plant really need to, to thrive?
0: Well, let's talk about what our bones need to thrive. Because I know that that's part of your program is yeah. it's not just focusing on how can we strengthen the bone. Mm-hmm. It is also the environment around the bone, the epigenetics of bone health. <laughs> Well, one way to
1: look at that is that the bone serves many functions. We think, oh, it gives me rigidity, it lets me stand up, it connects my muscles so I can move. But bone also serves many functions. Two of the major functions are to maintain blood calcium level. If your blood calcium isn't stable, you die within a short period of time, and you die even quicker if your pH is out of balance. Bone serves as a reservoir For both the alkalizing minerals that maintain blood pH and for the calcium. And so it's like a very metabolically active tissue, like a storehouse for these key nutrients that keep us alive on a minute-to-minute basis. Mother Nature is very interested in minute-to-minute survival. Not so interested in like five years from now. I call bones a great giver. They sacrifice themselves willingly to maintain the well-being. So if you're too acid, like much of our work is on pH balance. And I've written a ton of both Alkaline for Life and BetterBones.com. We have thousands of articles, and many of them point to the fact that pH balance is really a sign of mineral adequacy. And actually, if you are low in minerals, if you're acidic, you're low in minerals because the alkalizing compounds are attached to the minerals. So we always establish the pH. I've written a book, the acid alkaline food guides translated in many languages, a very sweet little book to understand the basics of pH. And of course our better bone solution webinar, which is a six step program that we have online. It's like when we do it in person, it's like four days, four day retreat. People can get all this online with all the slides, with the notebooks we use and all that. And it talks a lot about pH balance. So you got to have the pH balance and you got to have all these minerals. You know, you need manganese, zinc, copper, all these minerals to make a successful protein matrix. And you need the pH environment so they can be used best. And then, of course, we forget that bone actually produces hormones. And the hormone I can tell you about later is a hormone that actually helps the body respond to danger. That's a fascinating anthropology story. But before we get into that, let's stick with the things the bone needs. So it needs 20 key nutrients, and I've established those, the 20 key bone nutrients, manganese, zinc, copper, boron, particularly magnesium. We really overlook magnesium. And then it also needs sufficient antioxidants because all bone uses energy only second alone to the brain. Bone is very metabolically active, and it needs a lot of nutrients, and it needs a lot of antioxidants to protect from oxidative damage bone also produces I mentioned it produces hormones it produces blood cells billions of them every single day and bone is also a storage for toxic things like toxic metals arsenic cadmium lead we store away in bone our bone says okay I'll take it so it isn't in circulation so it's not going to damage the body but when you lose bone those metals start getting back into circulation I probably list 15 functions of bone in my writings and People should, you know, betterbones.com and alkaline for Life. We have many videos, many stories, but the Better Bone Solution is a, a, a four-day course. It really tells the whole story. But bone serves a lot of functions. It needs a lot of nutrients. And what else does bone need? Bone needs to be shown that is that it's necessary. In other words, nature was very smart. If I don't use something, if I don't use my muscles, nature's going to say, "Why am I putting energy into making muscles? You're not using them." If I do not use the bone, which loads the bone, like if you lay down and you just lay down, so you're going to lay down for a few days, you'll lose a lot of bone. Those four astronauts! This is comical. The astronauts think they would say, "Well, we can damage this planet. We can just go off to Mars." But the thing is, by the time these guys get to Mars, they're going to be hardly able to walk because they lose so much muscle, so much bone even standing is an exercise because of the force of gravity. So you have to show the body you need to have bone strength. And to
0: build bone, you have to do more exercise. You have to put more load on bone than you're putting now. I want to go back to the nutrients for a minute. Two questions. One, I know that calcium is probably in your list of nutrients, but I know have been referred to take 1500 milligrams a day. They don't talk about all the others. So Talk about calcium for a moment and then tell us how we know whether we have the right nutrients and minerals on board.
1: You do a good job with keeping up with my changing topics. I love to talk about everything under the sun at once because it's so fascinating. Calcium. Okay. So just as the bone density machines were inspired by certain industry that was benefiting, this whole thing with calcium was largely inspired by the dairy industry. And it makes certain sense, but you might say, well... 99% 99% of our calcium is in bone there's a lot of calcium in bone so you may say hmm, this is interesting must be calcium is really important so for decades they've told women to take high calcium and now it's been very clear for at least a decade that it's not going to help to build bone taking more calcium there's countries around the world that do fine on two or three hundred milligrams of calcium. And that's because they don't have so many calcium wasted they aren't taking alcohol they aren't taking high salt they aren't taking processed foods. they're just eating plain regular food from the ground and so we got into this kick oh there's a lot of calcium in bone let's start giving people a lot of calcium and of course what's happened is now the researchers are pointing up a long time ago at least a decade that it, it doesn't really help bone it doesn't reduce fracture it doesn't necessarily build bone density unless you're very low and to the opposite we have always said you should use only moderate calcium because you can saturate the system with calcium. And it could, especially if you don't have it in balance with magnesium and vitamin K. MK7 is the one known factor to prevent arterial calcification. You take these things out of balance, it's a very bad idea to give 1500 milligrams of calcium because a small percentage of the women ended up having heart attacks from hardening of the arteries. And so, We have always said maybe do 500 or 600 at max, depending on the person's situation, but it was a very bad idea. I mean, it was so simplistic instead of looking at all the nutrients important to bone. And you know when they started to look at the other nutrients? Well, eventually they got interested in vitamin D, even though famous researchers like Robert Heaney, he studied calcium for his whole life. And at the end of his life, about a decade ago, he said, you know, I'm sorry. I apologize. I didn't pay any attention to vitamin D because you can, as he says, you can swim in calcium. If you don't have vitamin D, you can't absorb it. So most mm-hmm. people in the past, we didn't have a lot of calcium, a lot of vitamin D. My grandmother had rickets. Rickets is a yeah. severe vitamin D deficiency. She had osteoporosis from rickets. And she was a farm woman, but she never got out because she was so busy tending to all the farm hands, doing all the cooking. It was an amazing life for those people. In fact, I asked her one day, I said, Grandma, what is it like when you were a kid? She said, come back tomorrow, I'll tell you. I go back tomorrow, she says, I thought about it. It was just like being a slave. And she knew slavery. And if you remember, any of you have had grandparents who actually lived that country life, imagine do your own washing, imagine do your own cooking, I mean, you know, much less for farm hands. It was, we don't appreciate the life. No. We live a luxury, a, a state of luxury that no one can imagine, but it, it's to our detriment in the sense that, we don't even have to turn on a light anymore. You walk into the room and say, Siri, turn on the light. We're becoming, we're becoming totally dysfunctional physically because of our lack of activity. Anyway, I'll tell you how they discovered the nutrients. So vitamin D, so researchers finally said, hey, wait a minute, you need vitamin D to absorb calcium. Vast majority of the population don't have vitamin D. Let's give them vitamin D. And vitamin D is still the simplest thing you could do worldwide to improve public health. I put the, my money on that. It's the simplest thing you could do. It did help with calcium absorption. So if you have adequate vitamin D, you certainly don't need so much calcium. Like I say, we go maybe maybe the most 500, maybe like 300, 400. I just test individual cases, but rarely would I do over 600 milligrams. And most of it is combined. All of it's combined with other nutrients. With other things, right. It's not
0: in isolation.
1: So the 20 key bone nutrients. Things like zinc, manganese, copper, boron, magnesium, certainly. If you go to betterbones.com or any of my sites or alkaline for life, we have listed the 20 key bone nutrients. But you know how science got interested? Some of your listeners may know there was a basketball player called Bill Walton. He was a California... Bill Walton was a big basketball player. He's still kicking around, actually. And he's apparently a really nice guy. But he kept fracturing. And so they... They said, We got to figure out why this guy's fractured. He was on a macrobiotic diet. Why should he be fractured? A million old ladies can fracture. Nobody paid any attention. Right. He fractured, and then they get out the big guns. So the Saltman and Strauss, these researchers at the University of California, started doing research. They found that that guy was deficient in manganese, zinc, and copper, these trace minerals that you get mainly from meat because the soils are so depleted that the plants. I mean, that's a whole nother issue of soil. Yes, we're yeah. losing the minerals in the environment. So this guy, they gave him those nutrients, he stopped fracturing. Wow. So, that, so I called these guys and I said, hey, you know, why don't this is fascinating. Why don't you research the other nutrients, the other nutrients important to bone, the nutrients that we know that you have to have for bone. Um, and they said, no, no, we're going to go to the opposite. We're trying to see if we can identify just one nutrient that's important so we can just give that one nutrient. It's really nice. funny now you'll see if you research vitamin k or the b vitamins or even vitamin a every nutrient is linked to bone health obviously we've identified the 20 key bone nutrients put the doses for people i produce a product that has all them on alkaline for life we list the products we have so yeah it's a great symphony of nutrients that you need and and we're happy to outline just the amount that's good how do you know if you have enough nutrients Mm -hmm. enough minerals this is where the genius comes in because, and it's not my genius, but I work with very smart people. Is that you see the minerals, you do not take zinc alone or copper alone or magnesium alone. You take it attached to an anion. So it's a positively charged mineral. You take it to a negatively charged anion. When you consume that, if the mineral plays its role in bone like we know that manganese zinc copper are really important for that protein matrix for that collagen web that bone is crystallized and becomes crystallized and then that forms hard bone but we know that those anions whether it's a citrate or a carbonate or an ascorbate the thing the mineral is attached to that allows that is capable of neutralizing hydrogen ions neutralizing acid, and so one of the big benefits of the mineral is that you can, if you have a high mineral diet, your pH will reflect this. And so what we've developed is a first morning urine test, a very simple thing, first morning urine with a pH paper. And you can detect if you have adequate minerals. If your pH is not 6.5 to 7.5, you have a lack in minerals. We have a whole pH test kit. It's the Alkaline for Life Diet Starter Kit. And that is a really neat thing. But as you dig a little deeper, you see it's kind of complicated. We're thinking of doing a challenge. And if any, of your, if any of your listeners start measuring their pH, let us know. Because some of my associates are saying, look, you're going to find a large number of people that their pH is extremely high. Their pH is 8. We, we like just 6.5 to 7.5. 7 is neutral, so it's slightly acid or a little bit alkaline. And that we feel is reflective of tissue pH, but some people are very high You'd say they're super alkaline, that's great, but it's not great. They're so acid that the body is breaking down muscle. You see, you lose muscle from acidity just like you lose bone, and you break down muscle to get out ammonia, to get out glutamine, I mean to make ammonia, which is a strong buffer. If you've ever worked with an old person who's sick, you'll know the urine smells of ammonia. Because they're breaking down their own body, it's a catabolic state, and the body's trying to preserve it by breaking down muscle, by preserve the damage to the kidney if you're too acid. Wow. Yeah. A person says, hey, how can I know? First morning urine. Get our Alkaline for Life Diet Starter Kit. You can find it on BetterBones.com or Alkaline for Life and just measure your first morning urine. In fact, somebody challenged me to do 100,000 people because they say in America now, everyone is so mineral depleted that they're not only acid, they're super acid, so super acid that they're breaking down muscle in order to neutralize that acid.
0: Let's just tell the listeners what contributes to an acid condition in the body versus an alkaline one.
1: Yeah, yeah. if we tried to be really simple, we'd say of all the internal balances, like we have a balance of temperature, you know, if it gets too hot, the body sweats and this and that, We have all kinds of internal balances, but pH is the most highly regulated, the blood pH, because so much of a physiological function is dependent on a very specific pH. The blood has to be 7.35 to 7.45 or you die i mean there's a little bit of variation but that's the range and body will do anything to keep it to that range so it's very happy to break down bone or to take the alkalizing potassium stores that are in the water around the bone or from bone itself or within any tissue to find these alkali reserves the carbonates the citrates these alkalizing compounds to to buffer the acids because we cannot tolerate much of an acid load. Diabetic ketoacidosis, when you get too acid, you die. And so the body really works to maintain it. And the body does a great job. So if you tell your doctor, you say, hey, doc, let's look at my first morning urine. you will say, don't pay any attention to that. He said, the urine changes all day long. But what happens is that the body will not let you get much far away from that 735 to 745 in the blood because the body will not survive. So it's going to take those reserves wherever it's got to take them from. Even a tilt towards the 735 end. That's going to cause a lot of things. That's immediately going to cause you to break down more bone. The osteoblasts that build bone quiet down. The osteoclasts that break down bone speed up. You you can see it. Businski, this professor at Rochester right near your show, years ago showed that a little acid tilt you start breaking down bone. What else? You produce ATP less effectively. You produce protein less effectively. Your immune system is not effective. You even produce more cortisol. Even you have a decrease in brain volume when you change pH. So slight tilts in pH can make a big difference in cellular functioning. And that's our newest work is trying to make the public aware of this. And so it's an issue of minerals, sort of acid rain, right? And people are starting to hear of acid water like in Florida and in Australia, all the corals being damaged, being destroyed by too acid condition. Oh, you get all these jellyfish because they like acid. You have all these algae tides. That's all because we warmed up the oceans too much. There's the carbon that's coming back down from. This. So you have an acid condition in the air, in the water, in the earth and in the soils. And it just turns out that's one really big factor in the soil depletion of minerals. There's many reasons why we see some of the minerals are 50% like than they were 100 years ago. And hearing an orange, hearing a banana, you're getting something, a lot of nutrients, but it can be very little. And so the whole body is just a part of this acidification of our world that we moderns have done. It's a demineralization. And you can measure your demineralization by the pH of the first morning urine, And it's a smart thing to do, yeah. Absolutely, it's simple. And what's the most important mineral really to alkalize? Well, there's two. One is potassium, so you want to have the RDA for potassium was four thousand seven hundred. That's five times that of calcium, yet yeah, no one pays any attention because there's no industry, the broccoli industry isn't out there saying, Hey, consume high <laughs> calcium or the cauliflower industry or the sweet potato, but Consume high potassium. Potassium is very important. And you want to get it from food because all these plants, all the fruits and vegetables have so many other compounds in them that are great for you. And you want to get them in food. There's some issues with potassium supplements we don't have to go into, but it relates to kidney failure. And the other mineral, magnesium. Magnesium controls the cellular pH. And I challenge anyone to get 400 milligrams of calcium in their food. It's very hard to do, much less if you just use the standard tables, much less if you actually saw the amount of nutrients in that food. It's true organic has a bit more, but we are fooling ourselves thinking that this nice looking fruit and vegetable has a good nutrient content. But magnesium is real important. and We do supplement highly with magnesium. Often
0: we use even a thousand milligrams of magnesium. Do you use a transdermal as well or just an oral? well
1: i have not seen the ability to raise the level with transdermal but if a person told me if you said hey i'm putting my oil on or my cream and my first warning is changing i'd be on board like to hear about that because that's the proof of the pudding here's a really important thing that we have no good way to test magnesium and so the doctors oh i'll do a blood test they do a serum magnesium the range of the laboratories is like 2 to 3.4, some range like that. But anything in the lower half, whatever range they use, anything in the lower half is deficiency of magnesium, not just inadequacy. And this was discovered by Ron Leal at NIH that you see because most of the magnesium isn't in the blood. And so when they measure it like that, you want to be at the very high end of the serum magnesium. Magnesium is a great relaxer. It relaxes anybody who gets late cramps at night or twitches or spasms. It's a shame we haven't paid attention to magnesium. It affects like 600 enzyme systems. And so it's a very good thing to be careful with, particularly for bone.
0: Now, we wouldn't be having a complete conversation if we didn't talk a little bit about the drugs that are out there for people who have been scared into thinking they're going to fracture because they have osteopenia or they actually do have osteoporosis. I'm not saying all drugs are bad. I don't know enough about them. I've heard some are better lately. What's your take?
1: Well, I mean, there's room for everything in the universe. And certainly, you know, the worst thing in the world is worry. And the worst thing in the world is fear. And if you say, I'm so terrorized, I've got to take this bone drug. That's fine. When you look at the studies, the most success of bone drugs is in people who have very severe cases. Where they have most all the studies are done with people who have already fractured. So if you're already fractured, you say, look, I I don't want to fiddle around trying to figure out why I'm fracturing. This is time for me to do something. Go to our site and do our course. Work with us because you can become the leader in figuring, helping, working with your doctor to figure out if there's any cause you can detect and then get on a strong nutrient program, how to measure the success of your program. All those things we include. But if a person says, ah, I'm too weak or I'm tired, I don't want to do this, then they might consider the drug therapy if they have been fracturing and can't do anything about it. You know, I, I'm just looking at this data now on all of these studies of these drugs. And most of them are just like two-year studies. It's amazing. They can launch a drug with such very little. It takes 10 years to see effect of a drug. It took more than that to see all these pernicious effects of Fosamax. And it's like they're doing the best they can, but, you know, not good enough. We we should put our money into really building strong bones right from youth on up. but Anyway, I look at these studies, and this is all going to be in my new book called Better Bone Solution, that the benefit is so small. You have to, I could go grab it for you. We know each drug, how many people you have to treat to prevent one fracture. And in the best case, it would be 20 people treated with severe osteoporosis to prevent one spinal fracture. And hip fractures, no prevention of hip fractures, hardly with any drug. You have to treat 100 people to prevent one hip fracture. What we tell people is learn about the question of number needed to treat. Your doctor can tell you, oh, it's a 50% fracture reduction. That's because in the control group, two people fractured. In the drug group, one person fractured. They say that's a 50% fracture reduction. But it can be two people out of 100 had to be benefited from it. Spinal fractures, much easier to prevent than hip fractures. Hip fractures, nothing like... Vitamin D and good exercise. So look at that data. And like I said, I'm writing this book and I just cannot believe the data. I cannot believe the small benefit there is from that. But on the other hand, I've got a couple clients who come to me that maybe had multiple spinal fractures. No one can figure out why. And it may be a genetic thing, you know, it's certainly a minority of the population. But then you say, okay, well, then you encourage them, well, let's do everything else we can while you're using that drug because you want to build bone strength you still need all the basic ingredients you still yeah. need your pH imbalance you still need all the nutrients you need to do exercise so we certainly say if you feel you want to do drugs first find out the number needed to treat and ask yourself can i is there a better way you know is there a better way for me to do this if you say no do everything else in addition to that
0: yeah you mentioned exercise and i don't want to keep you forever but i do quickly want to just i think everybody knows we've all heard weight bearing exercise right all different kinds weight vests Power plate, vibration plates, whatever the, without the brand name. What do you think about adding some gizmos?
1: Well, I think like Linda Beck said, any exercise is good exercise. The weighted vest we like a lot, particularly for thin women. They did a study of how many steps do you have to walk to preserve hip density as you age. And they found out the person weighed 140, 150, they had to walk like 6,000 steps. If they weighed 120 or 100, 114 or 100, they had to walk 18,000 steps. Well, it was impossible. So the researchers said, make yourself heavier, wear weights. So you say, I'd like to walk anyway. We say, get the weight, try to get 10 or 15%. You work up slowly. I once went out with a weighted vest loaded with about 25 pounds with weighted shoes. Wow. Like it's to... <laughs> But you slowly work up. It's like a jacket. The ones we use, you can take the pockets out. You can yeah. put them in. And it's a, it's a great idea. It's a great idea to do less and accomplish more. You're going to be walking anyway, You're going to be working in the house. You wear that. That's a good idea. And the vibration platform I studied for a long time. I think there's a real, I I personally like the high vibration where you have like a three millimeter display. You really know you're on it. You have to be careful because you don't want to jerk your head around and stuff. You have to have your knees bent. You have to know how to do it. They're going to find, and then there's lower plates that are very low frequency that they've made popular now by the Dr. Ruden I only see those effective in turkeys and kids with cerebral palsy, but I do think in his research, he doesn't highlight it, but it looks like it could encourage the stem, the osteoblast, the stem cells that can turn into either osteoblast or fat cells or cartilage, to turn into osteoblast. So there may be a role for thin women for that that platform. But I, I reviewed that research for decades, and I think at fifty percent at least of all the studies show benefit for bone. And one day they're gonna find the frequency. Right now, there's a new some researchers see everything is gonna be energy medicine very soon right. because everything is energy. And yeah. so they found a way to they take they take stem cells and they expose them to a certain vibration, a sound, and that turns it into a bone cell. Wow. And that's going to be the future. It's going to be manipulating the, the vibrational frequency so that you've got a couple choices where you go. So you're going to go in that direction. And this is what maybe exercise does. It stimulates and certainly things like quercetin, resveratrol, green tea. One of their big actions is that they get that stem cell to go into osteoblasts and not into fat cells. As we get older, we tend to get a little fat.
0: Our bones get fat, too. (laughs) Bone marrow gets fat. Fat bones. Okay, I wanted just to close us out. At the beginning, you mentioned fear affecting our bones. So, tell us about that.
1: Well, Gregory, you're a smart person to think about that because I would say 80% of my clients come in and say, hey, you know, could stress be causing my bone loss? I've had all this stress. And I always said, yeah, and we thought it mainly because of cortisol, norepinephrine, these stress hormones that we produce when they they directly damage bone. That's been documented for a long time. But now these researchers at a fellow called Karsensky at Columbia University has spent years looking at the bone protein osteocalcin. That's a protein in bone that can help to build new bone. But that protein, when you experience fear, that bone takes that protein They send it in a particular form, which is called undercarboxylated, to the general circulation. And in the general circulation, it tells the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the quiet down, the rest and digest, it tells that to shut off. It says, keep going full tilt in fight or flight. It's like a push that the body will survive no matter what. It's going to take all the brakes to stopping that. You know, when we have a terrific fear, you've heard of women who can lift up hours off a kid because they get this tremendous surge of energy so but then after a while you you get shaky and weak and you collapse but this is trying to extend that hyper strength hyper vigilant period imagining our ancestors out there in the savannah they fall into a pit there's a fire there's a tiger after them they got to get everything together for a long period of time the gist of this is even before the adrenals can respond to danger, the bone is sacrificing of itself to go into general circulation to keep you in fight or flight, and even if the adrenals taken out. And so it's we're just learning every day the amazing nature of the body, the integrated interaction of every single part of the body. And particularly, I like to isolate bone because, to me, bone is the great giver, always willing to sacrifice, but it certainly takes a hit with fear. Mm. And our whole bone industry, our whole osteoporosis treatment is based on fear. And what do the Chinese say? The Chinese traditional medicine says that the bones are controlled by the kidneys. And think about it. Kidneys decide which mineral is going to stay in the body, which is minerals going to lose the body. And it's much more sophisticated than that. But a Chinese, a good friend of mine, a famous Chinese doctor said, you'll never solve the bone problem. I said, why? He said, because it's based on fear. The kidneys, the emotion of the kidneys is fear. And fear makes the kidneys weaker and weak. Our whole approach to bone health is fear, and that's why our campaign is to empower women to get and not to be such victims of this fear mongering, really, which is what's just happening in so many parts of our life. How long ago was it that they couldn't advertise drugs on TV? You now, every single thing you see is it, this was illegal. to Bush got in there. We lost our power to discern, to think, to live a natural life. And I appreciate you for all the contribution you're making to try to get us a little bit closer to thinking what's. How can we emulate this amazing nature? How could we produce a flower? How can we emulate the intelligence? How can we get that intelligence in ourselves to be more lively and more awakened?
0: I think that's the perfect way to end the question. How can we emulate can we- nature more and pharmaceutical companies less?
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: and I wish you good luck with it all. Thank We're- you so much. And I appreciate your time, your expertise. We could probably talk for three hours, but exactly. I'm sure you have other things to do. So people, I will put the websites, Better Bones and all the other good stuff Alkaline, Alkaline for life. on the website, on the show notes page. And in the meantime, if you're looking for Dr. Brown, you don't remember that, just type in Dr. Susan Brown. Expert. <laughs> I love the, the architectural, I mean, the anthropological side informs even how you tell stories today, which to me is wonderful. It just enhances the whole story because you've got this history behind every little nuance.
1: Well, but also we each have a history of millions of years of human evolution. Every cell remembers that. Our little brain doesn't remember, but every cell remembers that. We carry the nose of our great-grandfather, even though we didn't know him, you know? Yes. And it's like, it's amazing. Well, praise to everyone. Maybe we all appreciate this opportunity to live on this planet and take care of the planet.
0: Amen. Thank you again, Dr. Brown. Okay. Beeps, before you run, in case you're not 100% sure you're doing everything you can to age as well as you can, which means you'll feel better longer, you might want to check out my age better lifestyle assessment. It will give us a clear picture of where you are now and what small changes you might want or need to make to improve how you feel, how you look, and how you age. Check it out at rebelliouswellnessover50.com in the work with Greg section. Thanks.